0: Isn't college football weird? For two full months, the Michigan Wolverines were one of the toasts of the town. They were dominant at times, really efficient a lot of the time, and also beating up on seriously flawed opponents who were not capable of taking advantage of their few deficiencies on defense. Michigan has driven a lot of the storylines in this college football season. They have been one of the forces that has defined this season. And after three and a half hours against their bitter rival last Saturday, all of that was rendered moot. After all of the talk, the bluster, and the countless scenarios that were discussed, Michigan had been reduced to a completely irrelevant anecdote of the 2018 college football season. Let this be a warning to Oklahoma fans. Lost in the playoff talk this week amongst the national media and a good portion of the Sooner faithful is the fact that Oklahoma still needs to beat Texas to have a chance of making the playoff. That is far from a given. Simply put, Texas moved the ball far too easily on Oklahoma the first time around for anyone to be this confident in the Sooners' chances on Saturday. Texas has beaten Oklahoma once already this year, and they're more than capable of doing it again. I know it's hard to remember after what happened on Saturday, but Michigan beating Ohio State was being treated largely as a formality across the college football landscape until the game was actually played. So before you're seduced with visions of 12-1 and 1 and a college football playoff berth in your head, take a bit of time to realize that come 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, it's perfectly feasible for Oklahoma to be right where Michigan is, an irrelevant side note to the 2018 college football season. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Kyler Murray runs it. Got to get out of bounds. Murray still moving.
1: This dude's a legend. He is a legend. Everyone around here knows it. Maybe the greatest high school football player in the history of Texas. And you can never say never. My goodness. A designed quarterback run down 14 with about five and a half minutes left in the Red River showdown. And this dude turned on the Jets. Kyler Murray welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Murray's 67-yard touchdown run pulled the Sooners within seven points of Texas back in early October at the Cotton Bowl. OU would eventually tie things up, but the Longhorns kicked a field goal in the final seconds to win the game, 48-45. Eight weeks later, the Sooners get a shot to avenge that loss. It's OU Texas Big 12 Championship Edition this Saturday at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. What's up, everybody? I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the beginning with his opening take. I've watched back the first meeting of the year between Oklahoma and Texas, so you all didn't have to. I took a bunch of notes, learned some stuff I didn't know before, and I came away feeling uh, feeling okay about the Sooners' chances this time around against the Horns. Just okay. We'll talk about all that coming up, plus a whole bunch of other things surrounding uh, this game, of course, and then college football as a whole. Real quick, though, you know that I like to say thanks. Thanks to all of you who listen to the show weekly. Thanks to all of you who support the show on Facebook and also who support the show on iTunes with your ratings and your reviews. We've grown the podcast exponentially during the 2018 Oklahoma football season. And on behalf of Grant, I want to say it means a lot to us that so many people take the time to check in with what we have to say about Sooners football week in and week out. Also, as always, we invite you to provide your opinion as well. Just hit us up on the West of Everest Facebook page, or you can follow Grant on Twitter, at GrantBenson25. I am at Lee Benson, News 9 Plus, you can email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com. As I bring Grant back in now, I want to throw out there that Kyler Murray, pretty familiar with AT&T Stadium because he won three Texas high school state championships on that field. Murray's last state title came in 2014 in a blowout win over Cy Ranch High School, which is a school right outside of Houston in Cyprus. And Murray had five touchdown passes in that game. Huge, huge game. I remember watching it uh, briefly back in 2014 because I was back when I worked in College Station, Texas, and Kyler Murray was uh, an A&M commit, obviously. So we were paying attention to everything he was doing. So I, I have memories of that game, weirdly enough, and now all of a sudden Murray's going to be playing for Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. So pretty neat that Saturday, Kyler again, yeah, he'll play for the Big 12 championship, he'll play for another championship there in that same field. This time it's, it's against Texas, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and it's, uh, it's his first start in Arlington since that 2014 state title game. So uh, all these things can't hurt, can it, Grant?
0: I mean, I suppose not. I don't really think it matters what venue he's playing in. Although this might be very similar he's to comfortable a, there, though. Yeah, I suppose. But, you know, this also might be very similar to a road venue this weekend as well. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into that later on in the podcast. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right, so the college football playoff rankings came out Tuesday night, and the Sooners are at 5 in front of Ohio State, who is at 6. Let's hold off on that discussion for now because nothing matters after Saturday if Oklahoma loses to Texas simply put. So let's talk about that Oklahoma, Texas rematch. It's the first time the teams have played twice in the same season since 1903. That, that number to me, I'm not a big stats guy. Uh, sure. I mean, it's stats are cool when you're, you're trying to compare players. I mean, I guess Tua and Kyler's stats for the Heisman. I mean, that's important. I mean, eyeball test to me, they're both really good. Kyler has been better, uh, but when I saw the stat that this is the first time the two teams have played each other twice in the same season since 1903, it's like, wow, that's... Holy cow. I mean, not a lot of people alive today. Maybe nobody alive today. Probably nobody alive. They have ever seen Oklahoma and Texas play twice in one season. It's incredible. So, uh, I mean, football, a little different back then. The final scores of the game, games, were uh, a 6-6 six to six tie. And in the rematch... Texas won 11-5, to five. <laughs> so those scores are pretty comical. Uh, Grant, do you think that both defenses were just elite back then?
0: Oh, I'm sure they just had NFL bodies all over the place. Guys who were like <laughs> 6'3", 265 as their defensive ends, just chiseled. Oh, you know it. You know, they, had pro- they probably had about like three Kenneth Murrays playing linebacker oh you oh god yeah like you know one
1: person that was three times as big as kenneth murray playing linebacker because that would be pretty scary well that would be difficult to to throw the ball against and run the ball against that would Uh,
0: be a that would be a very terrifying human being probably not even a human being in
1: that scenario most likely a monster from like the deep (laughs) the
0: deep depths of the sea or something
1: (laughs) so yeah that's i found the that date and those scores pretty entertaining so all right so My thoughts, most of my thoughts about this game is on the, or are, most of my thoughts are on the defensive side of the football for the Sooners. I'm not sure where you stand on this, Grant, if you have an equal amount of thoughts, defense, offense, more on one side, whatever, I don't know. But I think I've gathered enough information to provide a solid blueprint for Oklahoma, that can potentially limit Texas's offense. And I use the word limit kind of loosely. I mean, let's be honest. Oklahoma's defense isn't very good, uh, and I'm basing this also just on what Oklahoma has at its disposal on defense, which is not a whole lot. But you know, at least the defense scored two touchdowns last week, so that was positive. And uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the defense's worst game of the year, which is weird because they gave up 700 plus yards. But still, uh, here's how this is going to go. I've got some bullet points. I'll read them. Grant, I'll let you jump in where you see fit, wherever you may have a comment. Does that sound cool for the defensive portion, the OU defense versus Texas offense portions of, of this podcast? Sure.
0: Yeah, you're probably going to have a lot more uh, schematic thoughts about this game. I think I'm more going to play uh, play pundit this week. I I don't I I'll be totally honest with you. I have zero feel for this game whatsoever. I did go back right before we started recording. I did rewatch the game. Uh, from earlier this October, against my 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 better judgment, I did rewatch it, and um, I, you know came away from it not feeling great. Obviously, watching that game, it was I I I forget how awful the defense really was in that game, just on a play to play basis. I. Texas really did just kind of do whatever they wanted. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think this is a good, uh, a good starting point. Um, I, I did have some thoughts, just sort of some general thoughts about the first game and then also as we go forward. So I'll let you sort of drive the discussion this week, and then I'll, uh, I'll hop in when I hear something.
1: Well, since you have some general thoughts about the first game, do you just mean – when you say general thoughts, do you literally mean general thoughts about the entire game or general thoughts about the Oklahoma defense – but, or but do you mean both
0: about the, the defense and the offense, I could split them up, I suppose. But I'll, I'll, I'll how about I, I bring those up kind of when you touch on those things? Oh, okay. Yeah, as okay. it that comes makes, up, because it's sense. all, I mean, you have, you have a pretty, a pretty thorough, uh, thorough roadmap here. So I think we'll, I'll be able to hop in whenever I have, have my thoughts on what I saw when I rewatched it.
1: All right. Here's my long list of bullet points for how Oklahoma can limit. Texas's offense in this game here in the OU-Texas rematch. Number one, keep four defensive linemen on the field as much as humanly possible, preferably the four of Ronnie Perkins, Amani Bledsoe, Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Mann. That front right there, that that even man front. I want to see Oklahoma make Texas run the football against an even front. The Horns haven't seen an even front since I don't even know. I I honestly don't even know. I, I went back and looked at some of their most recent games. A lot of the teams they played have played an odd man front with three down linemen. Sometimes Oklahoma State put four linemen on the line of scrimmage, but Jordan Brailford for the Cowboys roams around so much that Oklahoma State was giving them a lot of different looks. The Cowboys controlled the Texas run game pretty well. Uh, However, it might have been somewhat misleading because Oklahoma State did jump out to a sizable early lead on Texas in that game, which... It made Texas play from behind, which Texas is uncomfortable doing that. So they didn't run the ball as much as they probably would have liked to against Oklahoma State. So that's my first bullet point. Keep four defensive linemen on the field as much as humanly possible. And the reason I bring that up is because most of you probably remember that first game against Texas. Mike Stoops obviously was still the defensive coordinator. And Oklahoma's base setup in that game was a – was their 3-4 look with the three down lineman and Mark Jackson playing Jack linebacker as every once in a while a hand in the ground defensive end and for the most part a stand-up defensive end slash Jack linebacker in that game and Oklahoma would play uh, four and five different receivers mostly nickels so they'd have uh, they'd have Jackson on the field and they'd have Kenneth Murray uh, sometimes Bolton And then Bolton didn't play a lot of the first half, actually, and then he came back in the second half. So there's a whole lot of things. But that's the main thing is that Oklahoma did not have an even front at all in that game against Texas the first time around. So that's my first bullet point, Grant. Anything you want to add to that?
0: Just, I mean, I don't – you mentioned something about you want that kind of core four to be on the field as much as possible. I I would like to see – you know, some depth try to be formed there. I mean, well, we'll I, I, I think we'll see, you know, obviously a lot of Dylan, you know, Famatau and, and Overton as well. And it looks like Tyrese Lott has kind of settled in as a guy that they rotate in with Amani Bledsoe. And and Lott actually had some pretty nice moments uh, against West Virginia as well. So I think we'll see, you know, those three guys quite a bit as well. But, um, I, you know, Kenneth Mann, I think, was on was on the field for every single play the first time around against Texas. And I don't think you want that this time around those guys need to be able to be spelled every now and then. so but but you know, in, in general, I, I sort of agree with your thoughts. I, I do I do want to bring up Lee, one of the things that I, that I noticed on the rewatch um, because you and I had had discussed a little bit, I, I believe on the podcast from this past weekend that Texas is a lot of the time in 11 personnel. And when I watched them over the course of the season, I, I do agree with that. However, Lee, you know when they played Oklahoma in October, they came out and they spread them out all over the field. Um and I, I think they're they're probably gonna do that again because I think OU is gonna come out in their their little hybrid four three look. So I, I did wanna put that out there that I, I fully expect Texas to spread OU out again. Well, and, grand, and not, eleven and not,
1: person eleven personnel just means one running back, one tight end three wide receivers that's, i know i'm
0: just I, I i'm telling you that they which would is go, what
1: texas literally had on the field every single play i know the but time they, around.
0: i know but they would also they also wouldn't have their tight end lined up as a tight end at all times they sure would split them out yeah. as a receiver uh that entire first drive they were they were four and five wide every single play uh, on that first drive and they they went back to that quite a bit over the course of the game uh so i don't um but usually
1: personnel packages will determine I, which defensive personnel packages you'll see out there and that's that's why this this game you're gonna see a a ton of four three, they're gonna see a bunch of four three, and then the that, Oklahoma runs which and, they, just, they didn't really run at all actually the first time around that
0: does slightly concern me because I, I I think um I think if OU does come out with that four three look I think Texas's first move is going to be to spread that out um and they're probably gonna have a lot of success running against that theoretically but uh, we'll. No, we'll see. Or, or getting someone like Caleb Kelly uh, isolated in coverage. Like you said, there's OU's personnel right now and just kind of what they have to work with. I, I don't, you know, I, Texas ha, ha, has many more options than Oklahoma does in this game, I think, you know, in, in this particular matchup.
1: Well, speaking of the 4-3, that gets me to my next bullet point. So because I want to see Oklahoma have those four-down linemen as much as possible, as a defensive coordinator, you got to make a decision. Does Oklahoma play 4-3, or do they play a 4-2-5? And since Texas, like I said a second ago, legitimately every play against OU the first time was out of 11 personnel. I'm going to guess that Oklahoma will use a lot of 4-3 in this game. And that's what Oklahoma's been utilizing a lot in recent weeks against 11 personnel did a lot against West Virginia, and I think this is kind of what you were hitting on a second ago too. Another reason why you'll probably see a lot of four three is because of the injuries in the secondary. And I think Oklahoma has right now. If I had to guess, based on just what Lincoln Riley has told us, I think Oklahoma has legitimately six healthy defensive backs for this game. That's it. And Riley said that he doesn't he does not expect anybody who was not available against West Virginia to be available this week against Texas. So. To me, that means that Khalil Hotton is still out, Jordan Parker still out, Justin Broyle's still out. That's a big reason why the safety play was so poor against West Virginia, and I gotta apologize for not seeing that right away as the game was progressing. I didn't catch on to that, and that's, that's an easy reason why, for example, you saw Caleb Kelly on the field steal, still on that third and 18 play where he was manned up against Gary Jennings Jr. I think a lot of it was just Roughly, I McNeil mean, trusts Caleb Kelly right now. And even though it was third and long, he didn't have a lot of trust in the secondary because there's some injuries and they had some young guys in the back end. And he So I mean, I'm going to get, I mean, he did acknowledge after the game that he probably kept them on the field, you know, one or two plays too, too many. But I, I can understand a little bit more now why that was the case. So the, the secondary, it's, it's, it's not, not in great numbers right now, Grant. Anything you have on that?
0: No, other than that, they're they're just hurting, and and yeah. you're right. I I think um, you're right about the four three that we are just, we are going to see a lot about it because I just th- I I think the four two five is not particularly feasible just with their health right now, because in my mind I'm just thinking who I mean who would play nickel and that's I well I I suppose they would probably bring Turner Yell in to play free safety and then they'd have Buki be the nickel in that scenario right Yeah, but man, that's but, what I would I, guess. But jeez, I mean. Buki played the nickel a lot, you know, in, in the first game against Texas. And I mean, that would mean he'd be one-on-one against, against LJ Humphrey quite a bit. And I mean, I just, I don't think Buki can tackle that guy. Um, like I said, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of things. I, I think that Texas just has a lot of options for attacking OU in this game. Um, th- this is what I saw on tape. I I came away, you know, rewatching the game thinking OU is, I if if, if Texas kind of comes in and punches OU in the mouth again, i, I it's going to be really tough to stop them, I think, just based off of what we've seen so far. And the defense has been worse in November than it was even leading up to the Texas game.
1: So I've realized now, as I've gone through my bullet points, that you're probably thinking, well, at what point do you start giving us uh, examples of of how Oklahoma can limit this team? That's a good question. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> so, so here's what we've established. I want to see a lot of four-down linemen. We're probably going to see more 4-3 base because of the secondary health issues. Probably not a whole lot of nickel. I mean, we're going to see some nickel, let's be honest, and probably a little bit of dime. But we're probably going to mostly see a little 4-3 base with your, your base for defensive backs. All right, so that means that the linebackers on the field are, are going to be in that 4-3. Kenneth Murray, Curtis Bolton, Caleb Kelly. That's what we've seen. In the secondary, you're going to get Parnell Motley, Trey Norwood, Buki, and Robert Barnes. That's the 11 base 4-3 guys I think you're going to see out there. Now, Barnes to me looked a little gimpy last week, late in the game. Hopefully, he's healthy and he's 100%, and I just, my eyes weren't being truthful to me. You know, he didn't play a whole lot, uh, Barnes, the first time around, and that was back before Barnes was getting all this playing time. I'd like to think that his big body and his ability to play a little bit more physical than a lot of the other defensive backs could come, come in handy against the Horns. So, with the base 4 3, that means we're probably going to see a lot of quarters coverage. And I didn't do a very good job of explaining the quarter's coverage in the last podcast. I think we briefly touched on it on one of the plays where Buki got beat deep. So I'm going to quickly do a quick little primer on quarter's coverage with the help from a former, not a former, a current college football coach who's a friend of the podcast. He'd prefer to be unidentified, though, but he has great information. And in cover four, or quarter's coverage...
0: can i can i hop in real quick just real quick before you go into the big spiel i I wanted to say something about personnel um i i don't i i expect trey brown to start opposite trey norwood not parnell motley in fact now that i think about it i i wouldn't be surprised if we see motley a lot in the nickel i i I think i think motley will be your nickel a lot of the time um especially in obvious passing situations i think he's going to be the guy in the slot Hmm. um we saw that and you know we 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 do see Trey Norwood move around a little bit. He sometimes uh, will be lined up on guys in the slot and in obvious passing situations as well. So I, I think that that nickel position you're you're probably going to see. A, I, I I really I mean, yeah you're probably going to see Norwood and Motley. I think a lot of the time in in that slot corner slash nickel role when they actually do go to it. But I I suppose I don't I don't see them going yeah, to it a, a whole lot.
1: I mean they're going to play. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough because you, you probably want those three guys on the field as much as possible. Norwood, I want, Brown, I want, and Motley.
0: And Motley's playing well. I I, mm-hmm. I want Motley. You know, played his best game of the season last week, I think. Um, and just yeah, I, if, if 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 we could get a, a disruptive Parnell Motley, that would just go a, a great length. Hell, Lee. I mean, if, if 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 we could get three corners playing well, not just outstanding, but you know, to the point where they make some plays every now and then, I think that would go a long way.
1: And I, I've got that as one of my notes too, one of my bullet points coming up. Uh just, just so 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 picture that I think it made it thirty five thirty five against West Virginia, where Buki was playing safety and Jennings was in the slot and essentially just ran a go route and Buki turned late and it was an easy throw over the top. I mean, is that is do you remember the play I'm talking about, Grant? Is yeah. that a, it was a weird good depiction yeah. of what happened?
0: Yeah, it looks like Yes, you think, exactly. You
1: like what it looked like to the untrained eye. It's like, oh, man, like Buki, what are you doing there? I mean, you just got burned, and he did. But here's what happened. Here's why that happened. They're playing cover four, and the safety in cover four is supposed to play flat-footed at the snap, which means he's not taking any read steps. He's not going in or in or out uh, because he's waiting to see if he's going to need to play run or pass. That's that's the idea in quarters coverage for the safety. And what this coach told me. It's critical for a linebacker or a DB to get a hit on that inside vertical route by the wide receiver to disrupt the timing of the play, which didn't happen on that play. He had a free release. Now, if that slot wide receiver gets that free release against cover four, against that cover four safety with his feet in the mud like that, a go route is just going to kill the safety. and That's exactly what happened to Buki on that play. And that was just you know one of the long touchdown passes that was given up. So we're going to see a lot of quarters again in this game. And uh, let's see, is this, I think this is where, yeah, okay. So I, <laughs> the, point, the reason I bring that all up is I, I got to transition to this next part. When Texas is utilizing, and this goes back to what you said at the beginning of the show, Grant, they're going to spread it out quite a bit. And yeah, that's what they're going to do. They just they use their tight end. They, they move him all around the formations. He's a, he's a move tight end. He does very well, but he also does play some tight end with his hand in the ground. When Texas is utilizing their two-by-two two formations or their three-by-one formations and, and, or even just two-by-one formations, the wide receivers for Texas, they need to get chipped and they need to get rerouted. Basically, Oklahoma needs to be more physical than it's been all season long in the secondary guess what? It's legal in college to hit a wide receiver if the quarterback has not thrown the football yet. You can't do that in the NFL, but you're still allowed to do it in college. So in quarters or any other zone coverage, no Oklahoma defender should be allowing a receiver to run through their zone untouched. Now, it's a lot easier said than done. I get it. I get it. But that's what practice is for this week, and all season long, really. And I would hope this week in practice, Oklahoma has focused big time on that aspect of the defense, as well as playing, playing the football in coverage well and technically sound, specifically the cornerback. So that, I guess that's my first big note of how to potentially limit this Texas team. they got to be physical. they got to chip and reroute these wide receivers off the line of scrimmage. That's something that they did not do at all in the first game against Texas. Grant your Lee, thoughts,
0: Lee. That's something that, I mean, just going back a decade, that's something OU's had a trouble has had has had problems with for a decade. I, I don't. And, and you
1: watch the Oklahoma State Texas game, and the OSU defensive backs and linebackers, they do get hands on receivers, they do get physical with them, and it worked really well. It's just crazy how Oklahoma State. Is able to do it, and I didn't watch enough of. Uh, I didn't watch enough of West Virginia. Honestly, I didn't. I watched a decent amount of Iowa State. Iowa State plays an interesting kind of defense. Anyways, I just wanted to bring up like, Oklahoma State was doing it, no problem. Go ahead, I cut you off. Sorry.
0: No, I mean that's basically it. There's the Oklahoma hasn't had a physical secondary, Lee, and I mean since Mike Stoops' first tenure at Oklahoma. Uh, they've they've struggled with that for a long time, and I I I understand where you're coming from, and I think yes, that would absolutely go a long way in helping them have much more success on defense against Texas. But that's that's not going to happen if if it hasn't if, if it hasn't happened in a decade, it's not going to happen in a, in a week. So I, I just I don't. Th- this is stuff, uh, Lee, that I think that we so that we should hope for when a new coaching staff comes in here, because I mean you're right that's stu- doing that lee is not easy and guys are not going to be able to just be able to flip a switch in one week uh especially against uh, what what may be the most physical wide receiver core that they're going to go against this year i mean lj humphrey is a freaking nightmare in the slot so
1: um i mean well, here's I mean- the thing go ahead did you have because a- you talk about the physicality and you say that it's probably not going to happen as far as getting chips on guys okay you're probably right that's be honest, like you said, what evidence have we seen over the last decade that's going to happen? All right, but here's something that I do think is possible in this game. Speaking of the cornerbacks, and they played really well against West Virginia. Parnell Motley's played some pretty good games of late. I think this game is on the cornerbacks. And I think the corners can be physical because there at there were times in the first game that Oklahoma's cornerbacks were trying to be physical, and even uh, even some nickelback, Justin Burles, was trying to be physical as well, stupidly on one, potential, uh, on one play, though, where he was called for holding, even though he was in a good spot to not make a penalty, but he still did, so that was dumb. But I, I did see some attempts at being physical the first time, and this time they've got to be physical with Colin Johnson. They've got to be physical with Lil Jordan Humphrey. They've got to play them close to the line of scrimmage. These two players are not burners. Don't be afraid of them beating you over the top. I think a a misnomer in the first time these two teams played is that those two players just beat the Sooners over the top all game long. It's not true. Johnson had a deep fade catch early on over Motley. It was a very nice throw. It wasn't terrible coverage, but other than that, pretty much everything else was underneath. Screens, slants, Uh, sometimes... The wide receivers just outmuscled Oklahoma for positioning.
0: Yeah, like I'm, I'm scared of L.J. Humphrey in the same light that I was scared of Derrick Henry. Not like it's, it's not his his ability to get downfield and, and beat you like on a sixty yard touchdown. It's him catching the ball at the line of scrimmage and running through nine guys. That's and that's
1: why and that's why you have to play them up norths the line of scrimmage because you can you can take away best as possible those screenplays and prevent it from getting the ball at the line of scrimmage um, and I know it's a lot easier said than done but again so many things can be resolved by playing up in the line of scrimmage and showing Sam Ellinger hey this screen pass you're about to run it's not going to be an easy turn throw because the guy's eight yards of cushion Parnell Motley's a, a yard or two off of him and if he feels little J- Jordan Humphrey going in for the screen Parnell Motley's going to going to go in there and get hit hits on him and make that throw difficult and potentially doesn't throw it so I mean that's That's just showing pre-snap looks to a quarterback that Oklahoma – they did a few times against Texas. It wasn't like the entire game they were playing them super, super soft because they weren't. But you just got to see a lot more of it, and it's all about being physical Uh, because, again, Oklahoma State's cornerbacks, A.J. Green, other bigger than Oklahoma's corners. That guy was physical on Colin Johnson. Rodarius Williams was physical on Colin Johnson and L.J. Humphrey. And those guys weren't – weren't as effective at times in that game. And Ellinger had a tough time getting him the football and his accuracy wasn't as good because the coverage was so tight in that game. Speaking of Sam Ellinger, I'd like to see the Sooners put a spy on him quite a bit in this game. I think, you know, anytime he didn't have his first read or things broke down the first time around, he would run until Oklahoma kind of started spying him in the second half, but he would get a lot of scramble yards. You know, who would spy him though? I say Caleb Kelly because Kelly can actually tackle Sam Ellinger. Ellinger's a big dude. He's 6'3", 230-ish. And even Caleb Kelly was talking about this on Monday about how now he'll be on the field a lot more than the first time around. And he's, he's looking forward to that challenge of, of getting Ellinger to the ground. So I don't know if he was giving away their strategy at all a bit. But it sounded like Caleb Kelly was excited about getting more opportunities to tackle Sam Ellinger in this game. So who knows? Uh, Kenneth Murray, think maybe you know, he, he spied Ellinger a decent amount the first time around after halftime. I think he has trouble one-on-one against Sam Ellinger. Same with Curtis Bolton just because of the size. Another option, Grant, to potentially spy Ellinger, which I think this most definitely is not going to happen because it's a little, a little too creative for Oklahoma. And also the Sooners secondary is a bit limited right now. But what about Robert Barnes? 6'2", 200, 205 guy. I could see Robert Barnes finding ways to get Ellinger to the ground in the open field, and he's obviously faster than Caleb Kelly. Again, I can't see that happening, but just a, another name, creative way, throwing out there, if, if they're going to try to put somebody on, Sam Ellinger.
0: I think it's Caleb Kelly, and I think it's a no-brainer. I think he's the guy who should be spying him. I think he's your most athletic linebacker. Um, let just don't. I don't know about that. I don't know yeah, if he's the most athletic linebacker. Yeah, I suppose. Maybe not. He had but a I
1: w- play in that game last time where he blitzed through the b-gap and he looked incredibly unathletic when Sam sure. Ellinger just stepped up in the pocket and and Kelly missed a sack Yeah, right that
0: that probably is Murray but I my my reasoning is one I I really like Caleb Kelly's length um and also I just let don't have him think man just just let him be an athlete let him be a good player and uh, let his instincts take over um and, and I and honestly I, I just think he, he's a much better tackler in the open field than than Kenneth Murray is so um it just that to me, I, I think that, that just makes a lot of sense, especially with his length, his long arms. Um, and, and like I said during the, the podcast this this past weekend, I, I think I think Caleb Kelly is a pass rusher and I think that is his role going forward. If he's gonna have a, a big impact next season, I think it's gonna be as a pass rusher.
1: All right. More on Ellinger, okay. Spying him or not, you know, whatever Oklahoma decides to do, who knows? No matter what, the defensive ends in this game. Kenneth Mann, Ronnie Perkins, I think are going to be huge because they've got to set the edge. They cannot bite down the line of scrimmage on the zone replay uh, unless the, I suppose, unless the defense Oklahoma's playing near the line of scrimmage is designed to where they're supposed to actually crash in there and help out the interior lineman while a linebacker is supposed to scrape off onto the edge and set the edge, which I suppose could be a strategy sometimes, but... But the most part, I don't think that's what they're trying to do. I think the defensive end is there to wait and make sure that that ball is hand-given to the running back and not let a quarterback zone read you to death. Uh, Being too aggressive as a defensive end plays right into Sam Ellinger's hands. So the defensive end is very important. How about the linebackers?
0: I don't know, Lee. I I, I think they are taught a lot to crash, and, and the linebacker is supposed to scrape because they do it so much
1: yeah maybe that,
0: I, th- I think that's how they're taught
1: boy I mean that's just to me and I might not know enough about this but to me that just seems like it takes so much away from your interior defense if one of your linebackers is to me scraping it's, over to the edge
0: to me it sounds like you need freaking amazing linebackers to run that and Oklahoma does not have amazing linebackers
1: so like yeah, and- a, a linebacker in the middle that that's not going to pick the wrong gap, or he's not going to read it wrong and leave, up, you know, leave open a You need a instinctual yeah. linebackers
0: to run that. And I, that's, there's lots of adjectives to describe Kenneth Murray, but instinctual is, is certainly not one of them.
1: Second team All-Big 12, Grant. <laughs> he, made the, he made the second team All-Big 12 list today, so congrats on, on him for that. Uh, Kenneth Murray, I'm trying to think of any other... I think he might have been the only defensive player for OU to get first or second team. That doesn't matter. Uh, speaking of the linebackers, though, that was the thing I want to talk about next. And uh, obviously, Bolton and Murray, the two guys who played all season long, they've been on the field for the most part. These guys need to come downhill more than they ever have all season long, maybe more than they ever have in their entire lives. When when they're not playing man coverage, I say you just read run and you be aggressive Oklahoma State's defense did a pretty good job against Texas, and a big reason for that was the middle linebacker in that game, Justin Phillips, he's just so good at shooting gaps, hitting the running back at the line of scrimmage, and sometimes in the backfield. And even when Texas would overload one side of the formation and then run the ball back against the grain to the weak side, Phillips would come in and he would lay big hits on the running back, and he'd prevent him from getting outside and and kind of send a message there. And this goes back to what we talked about five, ten minutes ago, physical, physical physical it's a word that has not been used to describe the Sooners at all this year except for maybe some of the members of the defensive line I would say so man I mean you were texting me the other day Grant about how in the OU Texas game the first time what was the problem uh, one of the problems with Oklahoma's defense Texas running the football was able to get at least what three four yards a pop and was always seemed to be not behind the eight ball, if you will. Every and play. And it,
0: they, they, got, they got three yards every play, and if they got two, they damn well fell forward for that extra yard every single
1: time. And if you remember, if all you're listening, all you're listening to this, you remember back to that game, right after Kyler Murray threw his interception, and it was like, gosh, come on, Kyler, that's not, not great. Oklahoma actually got Texas off the field three, and it wasn't three and out, but three, and then a field goal that was made. On second down... On that series, it was 2nd and 8, I believe. Either 2nd and 8 or 2nd and 10 after an incomplete pass. Curtis Bolton just run blitzed through the A-gap. And I don't know if that was just like maybe their A-glap, A-glap, A-gap dime blitz that was just put on it. It might have been. But it looked kind of like a run blitz. And he just blew up the play because it was a run play. And Oklahoma got a tackle for loss. Didn't see a whole lot of that the rest of the game. And I don't know if it was because Texas' offensive line actually is pretty good. I got to admit, uh, re-watching the game, Grant, I noticed that Texas' offensive line is is pretty darn good. And they bullied Oklahoma's defensive lineman a lot in that game. And I think that's, again, that's another re- Not again, but I think that's a reason, too, why Oklahoma was giving up at least three, four yards a pop. Because I think the Horn's offensive line is actually pretty solid.
0: Uh, They... Oklahoma's defense made them look a whole hell of a lot better than they really are in that game. I mean well, it,
1: they they look pretty good too. Uh, as I say, Oklahoma State whenever they're running it. but Oklahoma State's defense isn't very good either.
0: I, don't know, I mean, te- Texas is i don't they're they're fine. Their offensive line is is fine. It's not great. It's
1: fine. All right, I'm almost done with my bullet points, though. this has been fun. Um, one of the last thing at at the very end of this, i'm gonna I'll ask you. Maybe you'll know, and then I'll, I'll answer myself. You know, which part of all of these bullet points is the most important? If you had to pick one thing for Oklahoma to do, which one is most important? I'll let you know my answer coming up. The last thing I want to talk about, and again, this is something that will go to watching film and having the coaching staff prepare the players for Texas' offense. Oklahoma's got to anticipate plays. When Texas is empty in their three by two sets, I think Oklahoma should anticipate one of two plays either a wide receiver screen or a quarterback draw those should be their first guesses every time they see empty as to what Texas is going to do when you see a two by two set and OU is playing man and they're showing man coverage anticipate double slants they like to have Colin Johnson Low Jordan Humphrey lined up in twins both guys just run slants against man coverage it basically opens both of them up because it it washes out one of the players, and they throw to the backside guy, and they have physical guys that can box players out. Boom! But if you're anticipating a slant, jump that route, either break it up, pick it off. When you see when you're in man two by two, anticipate a slant. And this is what I this is what I gathered from watching the game back. I charted every single play. When Oklahoma is giving up cushion on the outside, and Texas decides to go, you know, tempo, and then they stall a bit to read the defense and maybe change the play. If you're if you're a cornerback and cushion expect a quick timing slant or an out route to take that easy to five to seven yards. Maybe you can bait. I know we've done this before this year. Maybe you can bait the quarterback into throwing that quick play. And maybe you can come up with the read steps after the ball is snapped and break it up or make a play on the ball. And finally, the last anticipatory thing for Oklahoma's defense, when you see a three by one formation, what I mean by that, in case you're confused, three by one trips to one side and then one receiver on the other side, and you see the tight end on the weak side is an upback. So a 3 by 1 formation with a tight end on the weak side is an upback. It's going to be quarterback power with Sam Ellinger. Texas did that at least 4 times against Oklahoma in game 1. Most of them came near the goal line, but one also came on the final Texas drive when Texas was trying to convert a third down play and Texas did. Oklahoma did kind of seem to figure that out as the game went on, but it just didn't matter because Oklahoma couldn't stop it because well, power and strength. So those are the 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 things that I noticed on tape, that when Texas is in certain formations, you know what? Anticipate things by Oklahoma's defense. You know what? You guys aren't very good anyways. Might as well take some chances here and there. If you've seen something on film that you like, go for it. Who cares if you get beat deep? Everyone expects you to. So you got to make some plays. Grant, I, I know you didn't watch the game back as closely as I did, but uh, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if, gosh, if these guys were seeing some of these things and they were they were jumping routes or they saw something on tape and they could take advantage of because it doesn't, doesn't ever seem like Oklahoma really truly is seeing tendencies on film and then, uh, and then exploiting that during the game. I'm sure it happens on offense, but on defense, it, if they are, it's, it's hard to see.
0: No, I think on, especially when OU is on defense, you see the exact opposite. You see the other team taking advantage of the obvious weaknesses in Oklahoma's defense. And going back to that first game against Texas Lee, what I did is I thought they ran just the most generic, easy, Uh, take what you give me plays that that oh you gave them oh you gave them a lot and, and Texas was just very happy to take it and that's not just on the outside with soft cushion that's um that's giving Texas four and five man boxes which they did every now and then by by just spreading guys out and just having Ellinger easily pick up seven eight yards on a quarterback draw stuff like that um Texas is gonna, I think, is gonna come into this game, Lee, and they're gonna try to do the exact same thing that they did to Oklahoma in the first game, and I, they might, they might have a lot of success. I, I think the one thing that could potentially. Um, maybe tilt the scales in Oklahoma's favor this time around. To, you know, maybe getting a, a few extra stops is. I I think I I still like Neville Gallimore in the middle of that defense, uh, playing more aggressive. I think he has driven their run defense in the second half of the season, and for the most part, Lee, when he has been in there, their run defense has been pretty solid, for the most part. Um, and you know. They were playing a bit different schemes. They were they were playing more of a two gap scheme that first time against Texas. They're now more of a of a one gap get up field aggressive uh, more of the time, not all the time, um, and I I think that can really help Oklahoma's defense in that game, especially just maybe getting Texas behind you know behind the chains a couple times. Um, because you just you really didn't see that a lot in the first game and the disappointing thing is when they did get texas behind the change they still gave up you know long third down conversions and whatnot so um yeah it's hey i it's go back and watch that game It's, it's not pretty it's it's just really awful defense and um you know, I think I I think Texas has a good offense. I I think Ellinger is good. You know, we haven't we haven't gotten too far into it, Lee. But um, something I think you vehemently disagree with me with. I think Ellinger is clearly the third best quarterback in the Big Twelve behind Murray and Greer. Um, and you know, if if L.J. Humphrey didn't exist on Texas's offense, Ellinger is clearly
1: their best player. Um, so, you know, I I, I think I, I just I don't know. I I think that certain I'm lost for words. I don't know. I just he 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 never impresses me. He yeah, never he, impresses he the, doesn't. His, he is not pretty. His his biggest strength is his legs. Is his it's difficult to tackle the guy, and so that worries people because when things break down, he's pretty good when things break down. And, and you he know, can make some plays with his legs, and a lot of that again too is because he's so hard to tackle.
0: And and also, he is a much better thrower than anybody gives him credit for, and it's because he just looks ugly when he throws it. That's why. Other than that, he is he is, he is he's a very capable thrower. The dude it helps. misses so many he does. throws. It, it, he it misses ha- so many throws. He didn't. Just, he he missed he missed like two against
1: Oklahoma. So he um, actually no he missed more than that. He actually missed like there was he he skipped a couple on the ground without getting any pressure on him. Uh, yeah, there were a few. There were a few. It's just thrown wide. I mean he he missed he missed a lot more throws than you probably would. I, would think after going going back right and but and
0: i and i, I say this I, I i do think that you judge quarterbacks through the the baker mayfield kyler murray prism way too much um the the reality no, I like, is i like wait, quarterbacks that the reality sit is like, there and throw yeah. the football okay yeah i'll and, and i'll give you like geez maybe five of them in the last like 10 years that that live up to your standards
1: well no i mean look at <laughs> just look at other guys in the big 12 right now i mean I like the way that Bowman plays quarterback when he's been healthy. Ellinger he really is good so there. much
0: better than Bowman, so much better than Bowman.
1: I'd like to see Ellinger play in an offense like Bowman's. He his accuracy is not. They're good different. They're
0: different players. They're, like, Bowman wouldn't be able to play in Texas's offense.
1: Well, well, yeah, because Texas's offense is simplified and it's based a lot around quarterback running the football. Uh, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is, is is so much better than Sam Ellinger. I he's disagree. got great accuracy. He's got a really good arm. He's got he's actually pretty mobile too. I mean, Brock Purdy he just hasn't played a, as much as Ellinger. Has. He might I mean, be he, guy, he might be better, but I mean, I. So uh, I mean, so who else? I mean, uh, the Baylor you know, Baylor quarterbacks no. Obviously, K-State, no. Kansas no. So I mean, after that, I mean, the TCU's quarterbacks no. So yeah, I mean, I. If I had to pick quarterbacks saying, in the Big Twelve, I just he, he would not be the one I would want. I mean, I, he he's, he's great for Texas's offense, so I guess I'll give him credit there. It's just
0: I'm telling you, I think if you I I, I think if you went quarterback by quarterback and and teams were drafting quarterbacks like currently right now in college football, I think Ellinger would go a lot higher than you think. I, I think he would probably go between ten and fifteen in, in there, and you know I. He he he's a good player. Uh, he he he's a guy who really can beat you if you're not if you're not careful. And I mean, it already happened in a game this year. I mean, what he had like he had like 400 yards and five touchdowns in that game. So I mean, the guy. Yeah, I
1: mean, but I mean, anybody can do anybody can do whatever it wants. Yeah, I suppose. Defense. So I suppose. I that, that doesn't impress me. I just. I mean, that's I know not, you can make was, the argument too. It's like, well, Kyler Murray's doing all this stuff against bad. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, but Kyler Murray's also looked awesome against uh, Iowa State, who's got a good defense and. Let's see. Who else? Eh, whatever. I mean, uh, I like using Baker Mayfield as a better example because Mayfield just ripped apart Ohio State's defense a year ago and it was good. I just – we have a difference in opinion on Sam Ellinger. I, I, if he faces a good defense that knows what they're doing and takes things away from him, he's very ineffective. He, That's the, the way and I look at it. I, Lee, I don't like the, the way he throws the, re- the football. And,
0: the yeah. reality of it is, Lee, and, and I know we played like in an era where offenses are really great and there's just a lot of high-flying stuff. But the reality is if if you know if if a, if ninety nine point nine percent of college quarterbacks went up against elite defenses who are aggressive they would look like crap I mean that that's just that's that's how it is right now there's like uh, Kyler Murray will greer tua th- those guys will kind of shred everyone everyone else Lee, if they play a good defense is going to look very ordinary
1: yeah, and you're right, and a better argument that I could use I just I can't get past certain performances by Sam Ellinger I I just I I can't wrap my head around 28 21 against Tulsa and having problems against Tulsa I can't wrap my head around 19 to 14 against Kansas State only one offensive touchdown I just he's incredibly inconsistent and a lot of it too is just because I I I don't think he's 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 a good player uh, but I he just again he just does not impress me a whole lot and I just I can't wrap my head around certain performances. I'll, I'll give him a pass for last week against Kansas because I think they're probably looking ahead to the Big Twelve title game, and it's Kansas, so they they could just play vanilla. And I know that he's dealing with a shoulder thing, which I guess we haven't brought up. I yeah, mean, we I, haven't
0: brought that up. That could be incredibly significant to this game. I guess we don't know for sure, but um, I mean, any, I mean, it's, it's, like his, I, it's his right shoulder, so
1: yeah, I mean, it is. I, I I I tend to think that it's not going to be an issue. I I think he's probably fine. Just my opinion. I have nothing to go on. I just have a feeling that he's. That's good my he,
0: feeling as well. But um, you never know. He did I mean, throw if he, two
1: really, really bad picks against Kansas. And that and lead that's
0: uh, and, and that is after. I mean, those are the first two picks he had thrown s- since week one of the season. So, so yeah, um, keep that in mind. That's, so like that's even that's, more
1: reason to to pressure these wide receivers and put a little, get them a little physical, make those windows a little tighter for Sam than he normally sees against Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna do it every single play, I get it.
0: And yeah, and you know what Lee
1: Ellinger do it more than normal.
0: Ellinger is not an NFL guy. I don't think that's what anyone is saying. I think he is I think a la Trace McSorley, he is a really good college player and who who is going to take advantage of of situate of, of uh of of situations uh, that are given to him by Oklahoma's sure. defense. I, I think he's okay you know he's he's very capable of doing so yes of course he would struggle against alabama anybody who is not a big time nfl player or or just well, i not out, even talking you know,
1: about like those types of defense I mean, I, i'm just like just, yeah con- just competent defenses and I you just, know what and
0: he was he was uh i guess yeah he was hurt for a lot of that iowa state game but he looked pretty good against iowa state when he was in there
1: yeah he had he, had, he played play he played well that was a weird game but yeah he only played a half yeah, I mean, that's probably – that could be Texas – well, I guess next to Oklahoma. That might be Texas' best game of the year. I mean, they, they made Iowa State look ordinary. Um, all right, so if I had to pick any parts of those bullet points I listed off of what Oklahoma can do to limit Texas, I'd say the most important one is hitting and rerouting Texas wide receivers off the line of scrimmage and even down the field before Ellinger throws the football. I think if Oklahoma can do that consistently in this game – that'll mean the Sooners are playing more physical than we've seen them up to this point, which you know, I, I think the physicality could bleed into other parts of the defense and propel the guys to make some plays. But as Grant reported earlier in the podcast, that's not going to happen, right? So <laughs> so let, let's say that doesn't happen. Aside from that, I think the other most important things are the corners being technically sound because against Texas the first time in a lot of this year, Oklahoma just is not very technically sound. The ball skills just aren't there. So technically sound, also physical, and then back to the anticipatory nature of things. Anticipate certain routes based on formation and based on game situation, like I was saying. Um, if I had to pick,
0: yeah, I would I would actually split the baby between one, linebackers need to be aggressive and physical, is actually 1A for me. 1B uh, would be chipping and rerouting the wide receivers. I think if, if if they've been doing that the last decade, it would have made their defense way better. So, I, yeah. I don't that I, that's not going to change now. But I, I it would, it would, I'd love to see the linebackers be aggressive and physical. I would, I if if you could guarantee me that they would just go balls to the wall, uh, attacking run lanes like on every single play like that, even if they did get burned every now and then, I'd be, I'd be v- very, very, very confident in an Oklahoma victory just because they would they would be able to make plays
1: behind the line of scrimmage and they would be able to break serve a few times. All right, how about the Oklahoma offense in this game against Texas defense? I'll be frank with you, Grant. I don't have a lot to say about this game. I almost have nothing to say about this. I, Oklahoma's offense was very good against Texas. Texas made a couple plays the first time around to get Oklahoma behind the eight ball. And... I think Oklahoma knows what it's going to see from Texas, which is predominantly a dime package from Texas. That's what it ran every single snap against OU the first time. Essentially a three-two-six, and they work their their one of their safeties down near the line of scrimmage like a like a, a linebacker. So even though they have six defensive backs on the field, they play it like it's kind of like a hybrid three-four.
0: That's their yeah, that's their base defense,
1: and it's, and they they played a it was great because. I love how most of the game they had a deep, deep, deep safety playing center field, and that's why Kyler threw that pick is they had a guy playing, I think Brandon Jones is his name. They had him playing like 18, 19, 20 yards deep, just making sure no one got behind them. And when Texas, the one time, and it might have been more than one time, I should have watched it maybe a little closer, but I watched the first half incredibly close, third quarter the same way. But there was the one time definitely where they got a little lax on that, without having that single high guy like 19 20 yards deep that's when Oklahoma <laughs> called Marquise Brown to go deep and just like that Oklahoma threw that deep like i can't remember what it was like 60 70 yard touchdown bomb to Marquise Brown and it was it was pretty it was so so beautiful that you know the one time one of the few times Texas was like yeah we're not going to have this this deep safety and Oklahoma was like all right cool we're going to exploit that there you go defend this and Kyler just hit him in stride. That was so pretty. Um, I'd like to think that after seeing Texas one time and the mistakes he made in that game with the pick and the fumble, Kyler will be ultra focused. watched a lot of film on Texas that game before. Same with Lincoln Riley, and they'll have a you know, they'll be doing a lot of the same things. Spreading Texas out, getting them in situations where they have to make tackles against players like Marquise Brown, one on one and Oklahoma will be prepared like Oklahoma normally is offensively. My last note is I'm, I'm happy that Oklahoma has Kennedy Brooks playing the way he's playing now. He only had, I believe, three carries the first time around. Before, it was Trey Sermon and Marcellius Sutton getting a lot of touches. Kennedy Brooks, not a whole lot. And when Kennedy Brooks did touch the ball, he got chunk plays in that game. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he plays. And also, hopefully, Trey Sermon is healthy. I mean, he didn't play a whole lot against West Virginia. They didn't need him. I'd like to think that Oklahoma might need him more in this game against more, a more physical Texas defense. So not a whole lot offensively, uh, especially not a whole lot of X's and O's wise, just more thoughts. Grant, I'll open the floor to you. Yeah,
0: Lee, I don't have a lot of concerns going into this game offensively. I got a lot of my, uh, a lot of my negativity out of the way when we we're talking about the defense. Uh, not a lot of concerns for me. Uh, on the offense, going into this game, the only concerns I have are our uh, fumble luck, stuff like that, uh, turnovers. Um, the only time really Texas w- was able to get Oklahoma off the field in the first game uh, were on uh, were on drives where one Texas was able to create negative plays on first down. That was a big one, and also on drives where OU just kind of killed themselves with penalties. That that was really it on the first half. I going back and rewatching it, did it seem like OU's offense was in the first three quarters actually uh, was pretty sloppy? It kind of seemed like at times. I, I think uh, rewatching it, Lee. I think that was actually the worst yeah, game the offense has played all season, actually. Like, when, when you're talking, they, they had some really great, explosive, wonderful plays. Um, but ah, there, there were just some, just, uh, some lapses of, of focus, I felt like, over the course of sure, that game. Sure, And it, I mean, it, it they did, had to make some... Yeah. yeah, it felt like they were pressing.
1: They were pressing. Um, and, and also some of the play calls. Uh, I, I think, I mean, you know, Lincoln Riley always likes to say that he goes back and he watches. And all the time, there's things he wants back. There's there's a lot of calls in that game where I think obviously he was like, God, I, I didn't like that there. That was not the right call there. And you know, he gets a, a second chance at him now. And prior to last game, even though, again, it was a sloppy performance, wasn't the best. It was still a great performance over nine yards per play before that game, though. Todd Orlando had had some pretty good success against Lincoln Riley's offense. Correct. I mean, in 2017 and then also in 2016 while he was with Houston. I mean, it yep. wasn't it wasn't that kind of the narrative. Yeah, that was the
0: narrative, and uh, yeah, and so just just to you know uh, to elaborate on everything else, Lee, I think I think Texas's defense going into the first game was playing a lot better actually than they are now, um, or at least over at least you know more of a track record, um, and really Lee, since that OU game, they were the first one. Other teams have have found some some holes in Texas's defense uh, mm-hmm. that I that, that I'm assuming uh, largely sprung up from Oklahoma game film. Uh, but, you know, Oklahoma is better on offense than they were in October right now. Kennedy Brooks is a thing now. Um, one of the more underrated storylines is Carson Meyer is a thing now on third down as, as Kyler Murray's uh, safety blanket or safety net. And Carson Lee,
1: Meyer has been so good this year. I, yeah. I just, and
0: yeah, he's been great. I, I don't I don't think we've talked enough about how good Carson no, Meyer haven't. was because, you know, replacing Dimitri Flowers really was one of my main concerns coming into the season. And I think where we are right now, I think Carson Meyer is is replicating Dimitri Flowers.
1: Like, yeah, I, mean, like he's he's doing, he, I mean, he as far as like where he's lining up and what they're asking him to do. Yeah, uh, I don't think they're throwing him the ball as much as Dimitri Flowers. But they've been giving. His role has definitely expanded, even since that Texas game. You know what, Lee? I would, I would almost bet you that they're throwing it. Ah,
0: no, never. Mind. He's only got twenty-two targets, fifteen catches. I bet. I bet Flowers had like twenty-five or thirty catches last year. But Speaking, of, sure. Car- but, speaking hey, of Carson, but well, oh, do we? Go, do, we let's,
1: or do you have more on Carson Meyer? Well, no. I was going to transition into a, a play that something that you said last week about Lincoln Riley and. How he melts your keys that I noticed oh, for some sure. around. Well,
0: let me just let me finish my thoughts on um just kind of where Texas's de- defense? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I think Texas is not playing as well coming into this game as they were coming into the game in October. Um and I went over all of the uh the things that have changed on Oklahoma's offense, which has surprisingly been quite a bit, actually. Um and of course I'd be remiss if I did not, you know, um mention the offensive line, which frankly Lee right now is just a destroyer of worlds. They are playing <laughs> they they are playing at uh, at, they are playing at a level I have never seen a college offensive line play at, and that is not being hyperbolic. They are so dominant it is unbelievable right now.
1: Yeah, it's the offensive line wasn't as as complete back then in early October as it certainly is now.
0: And also, Lee, how I mean, it's I, I can actually say I feel like with one hundred percent confidence they have five NFL draft picks playing on the offensive line right now. You think so, right? Correct.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, heck, my the one that I was kind of thinking I don't know was Drew Samia. K- found out today, he's the co-offensive lineman of the year in the Big Twelve. Yeah, he's been so. Yeah, he's been so. Big Twelve coaches have think have basically said that he's the be- he's the best offensive lineman on the team
0: since. Well, I. I I would disagree with the Big 12 coaches. I think Cody Ford should have gotten that award. And he got – for I mean, Um,
1: Cody Ford, Samia, and Ben Powers, all first team, all Big 12.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be – and, you know, all-American teams are going to start trickling out here, and Cody Ford is not going to be on a single one of them. He should be a unanimous All-American on the offensive line. He's been that (laughs) dominant this year. Um, And also, Creed Humphrey should have been first team all-center as well. But it's – you know, I'm – Creed Humphrey,
1: honorable mention, all Big 12. And you know, and that, I'm sure that's just because he's a freshman.
0: It's because he's a freshman. You get what you, uh, yeah. You get all Big 12 as a center when you're a senior. So, um, yeah. The yeah, I, I Humphrey's just, been great. I I can't I mean, say enough about the line. offensive line. It's like I Lee. I think Drew Samia is the weak link of the offensive line, and he's the Big 12 offensive lineman of the year. <laughs>
1: Wait, hold on. Say that again. I think you might have said something funny. I mu- I think I missed it.
0: Drew Samia is the weak link on the offensive oh, line. okay. And he's the Big Twelve offensive lineman of the year.
1: Okay. Yeah, I definitely missed. Yep. that's that's good. And, that's and, good. and
0: Drew and Drew Samia since October like has been he he's he struggled with consistency in his career. He's been he's been just so good this year. He he's been <laughs> great. Th- th- this has been his best year with consistency by far. And uh, I, what can I say about Cody Ford? I th- I think uh, he, he's He's probably going to leave after this year, and I, th- I think Cody Ford's going to be
1: a first-round pick. Yeah, we'll see. He certainly answered all the questions about him playing tackle. Yeah. See, he, he reminds me a lot. Athletic enough, and yeah, he is.
0: He, he like he is to me. He is the exact same player as uh, Georgia's left tackle last year, Isaiah Wynn. They're the, they're they're the same players. because
1: he a? He was a first-round pick. I Yeah, know that he went to New England in the he was, first was round, he a top ten. Okay, so yeah, New England took him in the first uh, round,
0: yeah. and then they took Michelle uh in the second round or no in the also in the first round
1: yeah michelle they were both late first round picks i believe or at least michelle was for sure um oh one last thing i noticed watching that game you know how so what i noticed is that every time oklahoma would look like they're running their their old not old school their bread and butter gt pole counterplay that texas would would read that they'd read the, those keys and they just they'd pounce they'd jump up and the linebackers would read run and a couple times in that game it's like Oklahoma you mentioned Lincoln Riley melts your keys Lincoln Riley calls a play where Oklahoma essentially fakes that and it's a play action and then Carson Meyer just pops right there in the vacated area left by the linebackers and that's these little pop pass for you know 20 yards free every time
0: yeah I feel like I feel like almost half of the plays they run are, are are off of the GT counter look they pull their guards and the tackle on on yeah. virtually like I would say probably sixty five percent of the. And players. sometimes
1: it's just one of the guys. I mean, sometimes they'll just pull a guard and then they'll use maybe Carson Myers up-back or a fullback to simulate the other pulling. Yeah, their player. offensive line. I is, mean, they they is, run that play at different in so many different kinds of ways.
0: Yeah, they're they're just very active on the offensive line. I'm I, I would be very curious to talk to some guy who who is sort of schooled and and um sort of the fundamentals of, of being an offensive lineman. I, I would like to see just kind of how much Bill Biedenbow puts on their plate. Um I, I sort of feel like it's a lot, that they need to know a lot to to operate within this offense.
1: Yeah, I mean whatever he's doing has been incredibly successful. This is part of the show where normally we go through what do you want to see happen, you know, what will happen. And honestly I I'm not going to make a score prediction for this game. I think we all kind of know what we want to see. We want to see Oklahoma win. I know we try to get more detailed than that, but I think all I'll the get more detailed bullet than bullet points. If you want all right? So, so I'll I'll leave this one to you then. You can you can be more detailed. I'll, what I want to see is all the defensive bullet points essentially that I laid out earlier in the show. That'll be my input for this segment. For you though, what will it be, Lee?
0: This may be the Big 12 championship, and this is obviously just a, a, a very unique circumstance with playing Texas. They're playing Texas, though. I want them to, to beat the ever-living you-know-what out of them. I, I, I want to see Texas fans crying in the stands. I want to see tons and tons of flags for horns down while OU is up by 30. I, I, I want to see all that stuff. I, I, I want this game to be an absolute bloodbath. I, 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 this has been a really weird season um and I don't know I I feel like I've I've been overly negative this season and I don't I don't know what it is but
1: um well obviously it's because the defense has been so bad. yeah
0: and that's a lot of it is (laughs) I, I think the defense just sort of overshadows everything and also there's the element of I think everybody kind of has the idea that they feel like they're playing for second place behind Alabama this year as well which which I think sort of puts a black mark on the season uh but I I got to tell you, Lee, if, if OU goes in you know, to this game and, and if they can beat Texas in the Big 12 championship game uh, to, to avenge a loss to them earlier this year to go to the college football playoff, uh, in my eyes, that is a 100% successful season. And I will, be just, I, I will be very happy with how this season turned out if they can win on Saturday. Um, it's, um, and that's, that's really what I want to see happen. What will happen, I have absolutely no idea. I could see this game playing out in a bunch of different ways. I think the most likely outcome is that you see Oklahoma put up an offensive performance that's very similar to the first game, and you see Texas make a little more mistakes on the offensive side of the ball for OU to win by like 10 or so. I think that's the most likely outcome. Um, But I could could also see the game playing out similarly to the first time where OU just can't get Texas off
1: the field. But I suppose we'll see. All right, normally we make game predictions, score predictions. I, I don't have one. I, I'm going to be a cop-out this time. And, and you know what? I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'll, I'm going to have a cop-out take on the outcome of this game as far as what will happen. I'm going to give you an if. And I know this is, this is just so milquetoast, but I think it's, it's kind of it's easy, but I think, it's, I think it's true. If Oklahoma goes turnover-free in this game, Remember last time, two turnovers. If Oklahoma doesn't turn the ball over in this football game, I say the Sooners win by at least two scores. I think it's simple as that. I mean, that was essentially the difference in the game last time. Oklahoma gave Texas a short field on the interception, kicked a field goal, and then another short field on the fumble, got a touchdown. There's 10 points right there. They all this, didn't have the happen swing cons- right
0: there. If, if, and, yeah. Because mm-hmm. if all you would have scored on the, on the interception
1: drive, I mean, there's your, there's your swing. This, the swing there, and also, too, Oklahoma, you know, af, you know, after the interception, they were, they were down. They had just gotten the, the big pass play to Marquise Brown to make it a, a, a seven-point game. And he thought, all right, all right, I mean, there's still tons of game left. And then guess what Oklahoma's defense did? Oklahoma's defense went out, got a three and out against Texas's offense. And then the very first snap is when Kyler fumbled. And all the momentum was gone. And Texas went in and scored to make it a two-score game again. And, yeah, Oklahoma's offense just didn't turn it on until the end of the game. So, again, that's the simple thing. I think if Oklahoma plays turnover-free football, I think the Sooners win the game by at least two scores. Will I be taking Texas in the seven and a half points? You bet I will be. There is zero chance with his Oklahoma defense that I can trust them to win a game, by, let alone by more than a field goal, more than a touchdown. Don't trust them. And also plays, too, uh, if, uh, to take the points.
0: Yeah. Also, if 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 you're trying to just be a savvy better, also, it's it's almost unforgivable to take Tom Herman when he's an underdog. Oh yeah. To, to not to not take him when he's an underdog, as well. Great point. Because I still don't think he's. I I think he's like when they're an underdog, he's undefeated against the spread. But now he he has lost a game because they were an underdog last year to OU and lost. Uh, but they covered the spread. I, I'm pretty sure as an underdog, he's covered the spread every time as a head coach so um, I I just yeah I I expect the same thing I I don't well I guess guess one thing I can expect going in you know just because this is this is how OU wins games it's going to be a high scoring crazy game in all likelihood
1: all right well Grant what do you want to do next I don't have a whole lot of time. We have picks, college football playoff rank. I guess we. I guess I said we talk about that later. So. Yeah, we
0: could talk about that, but I mean, we've gone through this entire thing, and I, I just briefly mentioned it like a minute ago. Do you have any thoughts on on just what a joke of of a conference the Big Twelve is with all the with the crap with the horns down stuff? And I know that's but, been like that's been the thing that everyone's been mad about on you know online this week, and I think rightfully so. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's a joke. Uh, it's it makes you wonder. Not makes you wonder. I mean, I guess they've always made questionable decisions. Um, you know, why has this not been a penalty until now? I mean, that's the obvious logical question. You know, all of a sudden this is a penalty. So what you're doing now is, I have so many thoughts on this. I've Did you see they had
0: to clarify today because of the because of the logical uh, mine that that they almost stepped on? They they had to clarify. Uh,
1: maybe maybe I saw that
0: they clarified today and they said that the horns down won't automatically be flagged. But context is important, so they're gonna they're gonna make it a judgment call to the officials on the field. So if it's used in any sort of taunting manner, then it'll be a flag. Um, but they had to clarify it, Lee, because you and you had tweeted it earlier this week as well. But if they were gonna penalize horns down, it, it only logically made sense to penalize horns up as well. So they had they had to clarify.
1: So are you referencing that tweet they put out?
0: Uh, no, I've just seen I, I've seen other. Yeah, it was a tweet that I saw that they clarified that it's not automatically going to be called.
1: Okay, so... Well, because what, what happened I was... I didn't read think, it that way. Go ahead.
0: Okay, because I think what happened was Lincoln Riley came out because people were asking him, and he said that, yes, the Big 12 has confirmed that horns down will be a penalty. And then I think some journalists in Oklahoma started calling to the Big 12 offices for clarification. Um, because, like, I'll be honest with you. If, if the Big 12 actually did come out and say horns down is a penalty with no like uh, um, no tolerance whatsoever then it would be an absolute joke if horns up also was not a penalty so um, that, that that's how stupid this freaking argument is I can't even believe we're talking about this um,
1: yeah I suppose we gotta talk about it just because it's, it's a story I mean the only thing I saw was the big 12 conference tweet out quote if in the judgment of the on-field officials any action by game participants deemed an unsportsmanlike act is subject to penalty in accordance with college football rules. And then they link to NCAA rule 9.1. And so I guess maybe you've read other, other professional journalists who have done their jobs, their due diligence and contacted the big 12. Is that what you're saying? So there's the big 12 has said other things. Yeah. Other than that tweet. Okay. Wait, no, wait, say that tweet again. The tweet that Big 12 put out earlier today, and we record this on Wednesday, if in the judgment of the on-field officials, any action by game participants deemed an unsportsmanlike act is subject to penalty in accordance with college football rules.
0: Yes, and then journalists contacted the Big 12 office to ask asking them to clarify. And then I saw another tweet from a journalist saying, after clarification with the Big 12, it's been like determined that the horns down will not automatically be called but pretty much only if it's done like in a taunting measure, measure which is completely subjective, and I completely, you know, I, I expect, given the, you know, given the situation, Big Twelve refs will absolutely blow it. Wow, because yeah, they're that's... awful. They're so bad. They're such su- just such bad officiating crews. And you know what? It's it's not just the Big Twelve. I, I've seen other conferences be awful this year as well too.
1: So. Well, really what this is, it's not fair to the officials. They're putting their officials in a really bad spot because they're essentially asking the officials to read minds. And so (laughs) that's why the use of the word judgment is dumb because according to NCAA rules, it's not a judgment call. They actually lay out specific instances of unsportsmanlike conduct that you cannot, or instances of things that if you do, this will be flagged. And so that's, that's another tweet that I put out is, is I highlighted the parts of the NCAA rulebook that they link to about maybe the parts that might include the horns down. And those parts are, one, inciting an opponent or spectators in any other way, such as simulating the firing of a weapon or placing a hand by the ear to request recognition. All right. I mean, maybe the horns down because inciting an opponent or spectators in any other way. So I guess it could fall into that if you're like doing it to a bunch of Texas fans. So, okay. And then the other one is any delayed, excessive, prolonged, or choreographed act by which a player or player's attempts to focus attention upon himself or themselves. Those are the only two parts of the NCAA rulebook that horns down may fall fall underneath. But the problem is that you brought up earlier – is horns up could also fall under those under those acts as well so you're asking the officials to read minds at this point how about
0: just to put a bow on this we'll just say this is maybe the dumbest ruling or thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind and just move on but then also uh can can we also just comment on and this this happened like a month ago when when texas played west virginia because i don't think we commented on it but our were the Texas players and Tom Herman serious when they came out and said that that's, like, the horns down thing is offensive? If that's not the biggest B-word move I've ever heard in my entire life, like, was it Was it players on. and coaches, or yeah, it was, it was it just it, Tom Herman? Yeah, it was, it was Herman. I think it was Colin Johnson said something about it, and Sam Ellinger said something about it as well.
1: Um, well, I remember Sam Ellinger's tweet about how he will always remember all dude, the that's horns so, d- that's so or- lame. That's so lame, man. And yeah, I and he, I think you deleted it cuz I think I've only seen screenshots of it.
0: But anyway, yeah, if it, the the Texas players taking like offense to someone doing a horns down when like literally after every 5-yard gain a freaking Texas player throws up the horns up thing. Like give me a break. That's just some
1: that's some soft crap right there. I I'll mean, admit that I I didn't look into the initial thing with tom herman because i just whatever but i mean if that's true and they they were serious about it like they're mad about it and that's why now that this is a penalty essentially because i mean it was penalized in that game i know that was penalized sills and then and and then Greer greer did it
0: right when he scored at the end which was awesome it was great it was one of the best it was one of the best touchdown celebrations i've ever seen and he got a flag for it because the big 12 and college football honestly in general is just a bunch of wusses it's garbage
1: yeah, if that is true, though, and they really are offended by it and they, they weren't just saying that in jest or they weren't just trolling the media, then, oh, my gosh, Oklahoma cannot lose to this team on Saturday. I mean, come on. like well, I mean, I know like a lot of people criticize Oklahoma's defense for being soft this year, and sure, rightfully so, but there has not been a more soft act than truly complaining about Horns Down being offensive if that's a real thing that they were doing and they were serious. Like, oh, my goodness. This is football. Like that's what people do. You should take it as a point of pride. Yeah, they yeah. were
0: saying stuff like it's disrespectful and stuff like that. And like, are you? This is football, man. Like, like are cares? you kidding like, it's, me?
1: It's, you're disrespecting other teams when you flash the horn, the hook'em yeah. sign. Come on, guys. Like, it's called the hook'em sign, not horns. I keep calling it horns up. That's right. Oh, that's right. Hook'em.
0: Hook em. I'm just I, I just I I think they're. And and obviously I'm biased. I'm an <laughs> yeah. OU fan. I just think their whole their whole shtick is just super fruity and dumb. And their their alma maters I've been working on the railroad and come on. Just Man, lo- but it it
1: it sure does hurt though when you're in that OU Texas game in the Cotton Bowl and they're playing it across the field. That oh, sucks. It does. It hurts. I mean, yeah. It it's very offensive actually. No, no it's I, I mean, it's just it's it's what it's, makes
0: what's make it's what makes college football great. And Yeah. Uh, The Big 12 is just is very, very tone deaf. They do it to themselves
1: and they just clearly don't care.
0: And I think if I I, I think if I was more of a conspiracy theorist, I would say, oh, this is just more evidence that Texas is running the conference. But like, man, this is this not evidence that Texas is kind of running the conference? (laughs) (laughs)
1: I mean, they gave them their own network, and they didn't, or at least they didn't give it to them. Or at least they didn't—they didn't tell Texas, "No, you can't have your own network. Let's just wait and have our entire Big Twelve network." Just think, the Big Twelve could have been the first conference with its own network, but instead, Texas was like, "No, we're gonna have our own," and nobody in the Big Twelve thought that was a, a bad I, idea.
0: God, I really, I, I now that now that we're getting to this, I really feel like this year especially there hasn't been enough Texas bashing. I feel like we did it quite a bit last year, but. I mean, we can, it's, we, 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 we try to be professional and we try to be, you know, you know really sharp with, with kind of what we're talking about. And we, we, we want you guys to really trust our opinion. But I, I'm not, I, I can't keep the fuss. I hate Texas so much, more so than any organization or team, I mean, in my life. And we're talking about like, you know, non real world stuff here. <laughs> I just, I hate that. Every, yeah, I don't, I don't every, feel that. Everything about that everything anymore. about their football program just legitimately bugs me.
1: S- says the guy who had no problems defending Sam Ellinger, and think I think you said he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. Oh, oh said no, would?
0: do not even do that. Right, that is offensive. <laughs> there was a uh, what is it? The what is it? The uh, the rivals Texas guy, the Ketchum guy, who who tweeted a couple weeks ago uh, that that Ellinger is, is playing just as well as Kyler Murray. It's like okay, oh, come really? on. I didn't see that. Yeah, I think that was it. Was uh, R- uh, Radosovich, uh the Sooner scoop uh, just totally uh, destroyed him? Yeah, it was actually pretty funny. That's a really <laughs> bad take. Oh, it's that's an a awful really bad take. take. It was a terrible
1: take. It was. Uh, it's just like the it's, only quarterback you can compare to comp- the only quarterback you can compare to Kyler Murray this year is not hard. It's Tua. That's it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's like the only the only other quarterback in the history of college football, like statistically (laughs) that you can compare them to do you remember Lee back in uh and now we're just kind of going off we're just just spitting about OU football now remember back in uh in in 2010 Lee when OU beat Texas and that was when Garrett Gilbert was the quarterback at Texas that was that was Texas's first like down year and the uh the rivals guy, was it chip something? I can't think of his name. Oh yeah. But in his, uh,
1: I can't think of his name either.
0: Yeah. But in, in his, in his power rankings and after that game, he still had Texas over OU and he was like, sorry, but Texas is is just a better team than Oklahoma. And I think at that time, Texas had already lost twice. Like they lost to UCLA by three touchdowns and, and then they, they lost to OU and you know, the week before that as well. Do you remember that? That was so fun.
1: Oh yeah. I remember the, I remember seeing a meme online it's chip brown where his preseason rankings had texas i think winning the big 12 and yeah yeah they ended up good call chip it. but yeah the, yeah that's what it was the the good call chip meme and I mean, everyone has bad predictions here and there but sometimes certain people just let their biases really cloud their judgment and we try our best not to have that happen here uh i because I mean, you're gonna set yourself up for failure. You're gonna set yourself up, and you're gonna be you're gonna be sad if you're not gonna be honest about yourself. I mean, can you imagine if we just were on here talking about how like, oh, you know, the Oklahoma defense, they're close. Yeah, that just they're close. No, I mean, like by now we we kind of know what they are. And you know, I was kind of I mean, I wasn't there where they're close, but I you know I I drank drank the Kool Aid earlier when the coaching change was made about how they could get better. I was wrong. I mean, they initially they kind of were, but it's because they were playing some bad teams. So anyway, it's just you got to be you got you to gotta be honest with yourself, and, and yeah, you can't I think let your eye, you can't let your biases get in the way. I think
0: sometimes this year, I I, I, I may have or overcorrected trying to do that as well. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe not though, because this defense is so bad they
1: could. <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah, like, I mean, and the thing is, I think they know they're bad. Yeah, you know, like, they just they know they. I mean, but they had some positive things happening It's West Virginia, good for them, and they're going to try to just do what they can to not mess things up. I think. <laughs> you got to think those the players kind of have that mentality. I mean, I know they're college kids, but they have to know that by now. It's like, let's just go out there and just not mess this up. <laughs> let's-
0: I, I know that they know that because I'm, I'm fairly certainly that that is the defensive philosophy that they've been preaching for the last three years. Just don't uh, yeah, screw it that's up. A, and that's, it's a good, it's a good and point. That's, and that's why they suck.
1: Are we going to do any picks or are you just going to skip that? Are we going to talk about Ohio State and college football play? Does it even matter at this I kinda, point? I kind of don't want to talk about it because it doesn't matter. Like we can, because yeah, can, I mean, o, OU still is out. They got to win still.
0: We can talk OU's about it on Sunday the if they're in the playoff. You know, I just, I, it's, yeah, and, and I think I, uh, I don't think Ohio State is any. Uh, Ohio State's not going to lose to Northwestern. That's just not going to happen. And I think Oklahoma can absolutely lose to Texas. So let's, um, let's it's there's just there's one game left there's no reason to to get ourselves just all twisted up about it right now I think uh if if we if we want to touch on it briefly here it is I think if OU wins they're in 100% most likely
1: oh that's it okay that's it and so I mean obviously you're assuming that Bama beats Georgia then is what you're saying. sure
0: yeah but I mean if 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 Georgia beats Alabama and then and those two teams are in the playoff again then just throw this season away who cares
1: yeah, I, was just, I put it on the Facebook page, the West of Everest Facebook page. In a weird way, should we actually be rooting for Oklahoma to win, Ohio State to win, and Georgia to win, and then have two 12-1 conference champs get left out because that'll be the, the easiest signal to all these idiots in charge of – I'm sorry, it, like the fact that it's taking this long just to get to four teams is a joke, and the fact that it's only four teams is a joke. So does, it, does something crazy like that and ridiculous where two 12-1 conference champs are left out finally signal, hey – Okay, Ch- change this. Do something else. This is ridiculous. I mean, obviously, I want to see Oklahoma make the playoff, but man, I mean, I, I, in a weird way, though, is the committee kind of hoping Georgia wins because then they can leave out both Oklahoma and Ohio State, and not one of those teams is complaining. Both are complaining. <laughs> I don't know.
0: It, Maybe whatever. I don't know. I, I just i i i just i really hate the fact that you don't you don't have to win your conference to get in. I think that's just I think that's really bad for college football. Um
1: and, and especially considering that Georgia, you know, they beat Bama, then they would have to potentially play him again yeah. a month later. I yeah. mean, isn't that kind of what the whole point of why they not 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 the whole point, but one of the reasons why they wanted to play off is so they couldn't ha- you know, they avoid those rematches like that LSU Bama game from what, 2011 or something like yeah. that. I mean, it it's such a bad game. I saw
0: a, uh, I saw an article by uh, I think it was Dan Wetzel this week, and he basically had the um it, it was the proposal basically. Hey, it's like the sort of the reform for this playoff is, is kind of staring us in the face and it's obvious. And he said, it's, it's pretty obvious we should just get rid of the conference championship games and just have this weekend be the quarterfinals of the playoffs. Um, and I, I think that would probably work just really well. You just take the top eight teams and then you play on home sites and then it, it basically is like, this is just your first cause cause this week already basically is like the first round for Oklahoma. This is the first round of the playoff. So yeah, yeah, I- um, for Clemson this is the first round of the playoff yeah so and that's, well, and that's already... not for Alabama as a bye but for Georgia this is this is their playoff this is the first round of the playoff for them um, and so I guess I mean if if you're going to already have this week as the de facto playoff week you might as well have some amazing matchups you know between power teams on on their home campuses that'd be awesome
1: that would be awesome and as much as I'd like them to expand it and I think eight is obviously better than four. I get annoyed at people that say eight is the best number, eight is perfect, because why stop at eight? FCS does 24. They don't have conference championship games. I think we can all agree conference championship games are, for the most part, stupid. I mean, some, sometimes they matter, sometimes they don't. Uh, so I want to see more than that, because I think it, then in that scenario, too, you'd see college football you wouldn't have this massive break between games. Another thing I hate about college football is that we're going to have games this Saturday and we won't have another truly meaningful game for a month. Yeah, we'll get some random bowl games starting in mid to late December. Okay. But who cares? I'd much rather watch playoff games, you know, those weekends. So I, I don't want to get into it now because I don't have enough time to get into why. But, I mean, sure, eight's better than four, but. I think you can go higher than 8 because another another uh organization another brand of football is doing it and I don't think anybody probably complains about that. So
0: should we make some picks? So we'll see. Ah
1: right, yeah, let's go quick. Okay. All right, picks. Last week, not great. Uh, Grant you were 1-3 and 1. I was 2-2 two, two, and 1. Uh we're each wow, wow, we have the same exact record for the entire year. 30-28 and 2. So uh, not uh, not great, not terrible. Just a just a bit over fifty percent. Friday night, we got Utah, we got Washington in the Pac twelve championship game, and I mean this game's meaningless. It's a, a, yeah, I mean I guess if you're a big Pac twelve fan, it's not, but doesn't matter who wins this game. Washington's favored by five and a half. I'm gonna take Utah plus the points. I think Washington just had a really big win over a huge rival in a snowstorm, in a wet snowstorm. I think Utah's a pretty solid team. They've changed their offense up the last half of the year I think uh you know when the the weather's not going to be bad I think Utah I don't know getting five and a half I don't like I don't like Washington a whole lot I'll be honest with you so I'll, I'll take Utah plus five and a half but I'll be honest I don't have a I'll lean that way I don't have a strong feeling on this game what about you
0: I like Washington in this game Lee it's just it's really easy for me to envision them just sort of rolling after the big momentum victory against Washington State in the Apple Cup um and I don't know they they kind of have the feeling of a team who's going to win their conference championship and then they'll go to a to a New Year's Six Bowl and I think they're going to win it and it'll be because they they have a pretty senior laden team um that's a group that's won a lot of games and they haven't won a New Year's Six game um I don't know that's just I I just have a feeling that's how their season's gonna is is gonna turn out it 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 does a lot of the times I feel for those really senior laden teams that don't meet expectations in, in their last season
1: and for the record, Washington's already beaten Utah once this year. But it was back in September by two touchdowns. All right. It's, excuse me. We're on different sides there. Memphis, UCF in the AAC championship game. UCF is a three-point favorite. Obviously, McKenzie Milton is not going to play. He had a, had a terrible injury last week. Uh, Memphis getting three points without McKinsey Milton playing. I got to jump on the underdog here. I'll take the, the plus three. I just Without McKenzie Milton I think he was, he he was damn near their whole team. So and plus Memphis probably should have beaten UCF earlier in the year with Milton playing. So I'll take Memphis plus three. What about you?
0: I I like Memphis in this as well too. I just I, McKenzie Milton I I think is it, it is maybe a one of the five best quarterbacks in college football. I thought he was maybe the best quarterback in college football coming into the year. Um, he's 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 just a really really good player. And I, when a team like Central Florida loses a guy like that, I just I I. I, I I find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to keep up with Memphis without Milton.
1: I also like Memphis, just to clarify. Georgia, Bama, and the SEC title game, uh, it's up to Bama by 13.5 now. It was Bama by 13. We were texting a little bit about this last night, Grant. I, I just have a feeling that Alabama might boat race them. I'll, I'll lay the 13.5. I think Bama wins this game by more than two touchdowns. And I'm basing it off of... Don't get me wrong, Georgia's a good team, and, and they're, they're more than a good team. They're not as good as they were last year, though, and their schedule this season has not been particularly great. Granted, last year wasn't that great either. They did have that Notre Dame game earlier in the year, so that tested them pretty good. Uh, but I'm I'm not impressed by Georgia's schedule. Uh, Alabama's schedule, not that impressed either. However, I, I think Bama has seen some, some pretty good defenses already, and I think Georgia's defense is actually, compared to the offense, might be – their weakness slight weakness and I don't know if they're going to be able to score with Bama so uh, I, th- I feel pretty comfortable I like Alabama minus 13 and a half what about you I lean Georgia
0: actually Lee and it's it's because I I, th- I think that's just a really it's a large line um, Georgia is by far the best team that Alabama has played this year like by a, a very significant
1: margin um, mm.
0: by far the best offense they've seen, um, and also al-
1: Bama's by far the best team Georgia's yeah, played. This yeah, 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 yeah. By a significant, of margin. course, <laughs> of course.
0: Um, so, per SP, um that it's Oklahoma, Alabama, and then Georgia for for offensive S P. So Georgia's very good on offense this year. Where there is, you know, a, a bit of a weak link. Georgia is not not a great rushing defense team. They're fiftieth in rushing defense S um they're they're pretty great in passing in pass defense though but lee what georgia's really good at at defense they are the number one team in the country in preventing explosive plays um which will come in handy against alabama and i just i yeah i i think georgia can can score with alabama for a little bit because georgia is uh, frankly georgia is spectacular on offense they have outside of oklahoma and alabama they have the best offense in the country i think so um i i, I think d- i think this is going to be disagree
1: who, who who else would you throw in there I don't know, but I just I have I'm not that I as of, like when I watch Georgia play, I don't think man, this is this is right below Bama and OU. Right? Just, no they're way. just no they're way. just really
0: well okay, not right below. We we're, we we got to talk relative like relative here, Lee. I mean West I, Virginia.
1: I mean West there you go. West Virginia's got a better offense than Georgia. I Georgia I mean, they got a better I, quarterback. They got better they got better wide receivers.
0: Actually, no, I I would say Georgia has better wide receivers as a group. I, I that mean, that was Harbin's
1: really good Who's that was the one of the things
0: have? that was one of the things that surprised me about West Virginia is outside of sills and Jennings I don't really have anything at wide receiver and and sills and Jennings Lee I don't think are are as good as as some of the best receivers in the big 12 like I think i I, I would take Hollywood and CD both over sills and Jennings um I would take LJ Humphrey over sills uh for sure um I don't know i they, they just they weren't they
1: didn't impress me that much
0: to be honest with you I think
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think put it this way for this game, whenever, you know, at halftime, we'll say halftime, either we're going to think, man, this line for this Georgia Bama game was just way off, or we're going to think, yep, yeah, that's that's why it was 13 and a half because Bama's just killing them. That's why it was so high. So, I mean, it's it just kind of shows you. I mean, like, Georgia, number four team in the country, Bama, number one, and it, like nearly two touchdowns. Like, oh, gosh. I mean, for just to, <laughs> just to compare and contrast, I mean, Notre Dame, a top, whatever three team was only laying like what 10 10 and a half against USC <laughs>
0: like ew. yeah so um s Lee in that game likes Alabama by 3.2 points yeah they're Georgia's really close to Alabama and S&P
1: well they certainly have the same kind of players and athletes that's for sure I mean the recruiting classes have, have been very good and, and it, it's significant that Kirby Smart you know has experience with Bama and uh it's just you know now now they got to play two over four cores instead of two hey, and, here's uh, here's the deal like i yeah. mean
0: i think i i think alabama is likely to the floodgates are likely to open up against georgia at some point in time georgia does uh, you know efficiency wise on defense they're 62nd in the country in that they're just they they just do really well at, at, at limiting explosive plays and me thinks that probably has a lot to do with who they've played this year so um okay. i think you know i alabama i i I don't think it's a bad call to say that they're going to cover against Georgia at all. I just think I, it's it's more of what I think of Georgia, not what I think of Alabama.
1: Yeah, I'm going against Georgia. I, I mean, Georgia has kind of been a, a nice moneymaker for me this year because I liked them a heck of a lot, loved them against Kentucky earlier this year and also against Florida, and they covered those games with ease. And then I also liked them, too, against Auburn, and they, they didn't cover with ease, but they covered by, I think, about three or four points, so... Yeah, I, You think I should be going for Georgia because they've helped me out quite a bit this year, but uh, I'm going to back Bama. A couple more games left: Fresno State, Boise State, in the Mountain West Championship game. This game is played at Boise State's home field. Uh, the uh, Boise State is minus two and a half. Grant, I actually I'm going to lean Fresno State plus the points. I think it's a better team from what I've heard. And Boise State had a nice win last week at home over against a pretty good Utah State team. Uh, Fresno State's a little bit better I'm gonna I, I'm just I'm feeling I'm feeling the plus two and a half eh, yeah man I don't know Boise State getting a home game though eh. yeah I'll I'll lean Fresno State plus the points
0: I also lean Fresno State because I do I think they're a better team and uh I think it's from what r- I've heard yeah. yeah I from it's it's just it's really hard to beat a really good team twice in a season I, I just I'll, I'll take Fresno State but I don't I mean I don't feel strongly
1: about it all right and lastly Pitt, Clemson in the ACC title game. Clemson's favored by 27.5 points. I'm going to lean Clemson. The only reason I, oh, I lean that way is because it's damn near four touchdowns. Uh, and, and Clemson's not playing an SEC team like they were last week. I think Clemson covers the spread. Uh, they pushed against Boston College, which is another ACC team, which was super annoying. Uh, I know Pitt's had a couple okay games, but uh, I'm going to lean Clemson because I'm I, even though it's a big number, I mean, come on. I mean, Clemson is just so much better than everybody else in this conference.
0: I'm going to lean Pitt just because it's a big number. Um, I, I think I think Clemson is going to beat them by by very, very close to the spread.
1: <laughs> all righty. That's it for today. Hopefully you all can enjoy Red River Shootout Part 2 this Saturday. We'll be back on Monday. Actually, it, it might actually be an early release. It might be a Sunday release podcast. Again, hopefully you all enjoyed Sunday release this past week. I actually just found out today that I'm off work on Sunday, this week. So we might be able to uh, get the podcast released maybe Sunday night instead of Monday morning. Well, so yeah, so, that's good. So uh, that
0: means we'll, uh, we'll we'll record it just right after the, the selection special or whatever it
1: is. Yep. Or we'll oh. record it whenever we want if Oklahoma loses and we know Oklahoma's not making the playoff anyways, so like and it's at that point. point who care at that point who cares makes the playoffs if Oklahoma's not in it so anyways that's so yeah we, we might do a Sunday release either way it'll be Sunday or Monday so until then for Grant I am Lee this is West of Everest